Welcome. You are listening to a sermon presented at the First Church of Christ in Elkins, West Virginia. This message is given by pastor and teacher Jason Brandon. Jason will be selecting passages from the Word of God and showing us how to apply God's Word in our lives today. He will also be showing us why we need Jesus. How can faith, God, and the Bible have more influence in your daily life? What is God saying to us today? For this and more, stay tuned. We are in Deuteronomy chapter 10 today. Continuing in our study of drawing close to God, and last week we looked at the fear of the Lord, and I want to look at that again. Uh, We took that time last week to discuss what that meant. Today I want to expand upon that, because I do think it's an important subject to understand, and I think that there's a reason that the the Old Testament uh, uh, focuses on that. Thank you, Pamela. To fear the Lord means to know that he is on the throne and we are not. Uh, We we live, human nature is to live in such a way that we are the center of our own universe. And we have to learn that if we are to follow God, we can't be. If he is Lord, then, then we are not in charge of our lives. It was important for Israel to learn uh, for them to know that, that the promised land that they were entering in the context of Deuteronomy, that this was his land, not theirs. That it was not their might that was taking it, that it was God's grace that was giving it to them. And so we ask ourselves when we apply this to our lives, where are we in our relationship with God? And maybe part of that is asking the question, who are we? Do, do we know, do we realize how lost, how dead we are apart from God? It's a, it's a big subject, and, it, and, it's, a, and it's, a, it's a tough one to look at. It's a tough one to examine because nobody wants to feel lost. Nobody wants to feel helpless. It can feel depressed and discouraging. Do we have a passion for God? Do we have a passion for what he wants to do in the world through us? Psalm chapter 111 verse 10 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of the wisdom. And and, and so we want to to look at this subject and examine it. So we're in Deuteronomy chapter 10 and I want to start with verse 12. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God? to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. And yet the Lord set his affection on your forefathers and loved them. And he chose you, their descendants above all the nations as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow, and he loves the alien, giving him food and clothing, 
And you are to love those who are aliens, for you yourselves were aliens in Egypt. Fear the Lord your God and serve him. Hold fast to him and take your oaths in his name. He is your praise. He is your God who performed for you those great and awesome wonders. You saw him with your own eyes. Your forefathers who went down into Egypt were 70 in all. And now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in the sky. So let's ask that question. Who is God? If we are to fear the Lord, the first thing that we have to come to understand is who the Lord is. I think that this is one of our biggest problems as as society. I think it's always been the case. I could say it's our biggest problem today. I suspect it's been a problem for all of the history of humanity. We forget who God is. He tells us, and we put it out of our mind. Instead of a biblical understanding of our God, we, we create him in our own image. I, I've got some friends. Back in, back in southern Illinois, I, I, uh, I had my friends that I golfed with, and uh, they, they were connected to the church. They were connected to the church. One of them went to church all the time, and, and the other one of them kind of went to church, and one didn't go to church at all, although he claimed it was his church. We were talking about that once on the golf field, and, and uh, he, said, uh, he said, oh, he said, God and I, we have an understanding. No, you don't. That's not, you don't get to dictate terms to God and then say, we have an understanding. What, what, I think the worst part is, he thought that was true. I, and I think that that's where our world is, is that we dictate to God and then say, we've got an understanding. <laughs> um, God tells us in his word who he is, what he expects from us, and telling him, I'd like to renegotiate the terms, is not an understanding with him. Uh, our, we create God in our own image, and if he's real, we don't have that right. Any, any more than if I went to uh, Jerry, I'll pick you're right in front of me. You get to be picked on today. If I went to Jerry and said, you know what? I think, I think you should have black hair. I think your hair is black. I, I declare your hair black today. That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense for us to redefine who God is any more than, that would, than, it, would make for, than it would make sense for me to tell you who you are. To know God is to know the biblical God. Not our version of him. Who is he? One thing, he is the creator. At this time, the Israel, in context, Israel was getting ready to enter the promised land, best land in the world. Um, fertile, uh, uh, a very fertile section between Egypt and uh, the Tigris and Euphrates River where Babylon was located. Um, all around it was arid desert wasteland, but Israel was really choice real estate. Um, the best trade routes between these two massive empires, as they farmed the land and protected it from enemies, it would have been easy to forget that it was God who gave it to them. Easy to think, look what we've pulled off. Look, look at these military victories that, that we earned, that we did. But it was God who gave them that land, 
It was God who allowed them to hold on to it. The Lord God created the universe. He owns all of it. He certainly owned that little bit of land. Every single last bit of it is his. It was important for Israel to know that this was the Lord's promised land and not theirs. And it is important for me to realize that every single thing that I own is really his. Uh, I, I, I own none of it, if, I, if we want to get down to it. I can't take any of it with me when I die, right? doesn't matter how many comic books I've collected through the years, and none of it goes with me. I, I like how it reads in Psalm chapter 50, verse 9. God says, I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens. For every animal of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains, and the creatures of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you, for the world is mine, and all that is in it. Why, why would God need to be accountable to us? God owns it all. The vast, massive universe, it's all his. Every Every molecule, every atom, every protons and neutrons and electrons and whatever small it quarks and I don't know how small it gets. It's all his, all of it. And, and I'm such a small part. <laughs> when you look at how big, when I, when I now understand if, from what I'm gathering that what I think are stars in the sky, many of them aren't stars. They're galaxies that are billions of stars each. Why should he care about me? If he can make all of that, which is just mind-bogglingly large, is he not so big that it's not my right to redefine who he is? And he has a big picture. God thinks and plans in eternity, and I am so small. I have to remember that my God and his world is so much bigger than I am and so much bigger than what I can see. He is the creator, and that should leave me in awe. And then he is also the judge. Deuteronomy tells us that the Lord is a God of justice. He can't be bribed. He always does what is right. He defends those that need defending, like the orphans and the widow and the hungry and the alien. He punishes those who deserve to be punished, the oppressors and the wicked. We desire justice. It's within our nature. We want to see things be fair and just because we were made in God's image. We are like him. We want, what we want is what he wants for his world. Now, this is an imperfect world. We will never have perfect justice. It will never be perfectly fair. There are people that are born into poverty and people that are born into wealth, people that are born into countries that are affluent, people that are born in countries that are suffering from plague and, and famine. And, and in this world, it will never be perfectly fair. That's just the nature of life. But this life isn't going to last. What we want is for God's justice. And one day, there will be justice. What Tied to justice is the concept of righteousness. Now, righteousness is one of these big words, but I think we overcomplicate it. In the ancient world, righteousness meant acting right. <laughs> and I think that we've added so much church language to it that we forget its root. Its, its root concept, right acting. Despite a different, a, uh, despite a different world, a wicked world, um, 
the creator of the world is the judge of the world. He established what is right. He established what is wrong. We, we live in a day when we think we can decide what is right and wrong. But if there is a God and if he is real, and if he says that something is right and wrong, then who are we to redefine that? Society chooses its morals. If God, I, I, I'm not convinced that those are up for a vote. In fact, I'm, I'm convinced that it's not all up to a vote, that God gets to decide. God establishes what is right and wrong. Hum, humans are imperfect. We know that we're imperfect. We don't always make good decisions. Um, and, and while I have no desire to get rid of voting for things like politics, uh, I, I, that doesn't mean that we always vote well or smart uh, because, because we're imperfect. And, and, and I don't say that in condemnation. I appreciate that, that God lets us in this world take the time. He doesn't dictate and control every aspect of our life. When I say he doesn't dictate, it doesn't mean he doesn't tell us what is right and wrong. But he doesn't, there, there's no lightning bolts for when I make a mistake, when I choose poorly. I learn from my mistakes and I grow in this, this entire world, which is not a fair world. It's kind of a testing ground, isn't it? Where we get to look for God and find him and figure out what, what his will is. And there are days that I wish that God would speak in an audible voice from heaven and say, Jason, knock it off. But he doesn't work that way. And I make mistakes, I sin, and I learn from my mistakes, and I learn from my sin, and I draw closer to him. One day, the universe will be judged. If this book is any true, this universe will, and all of its inhabitants will be judged by the creator and judge of righteousness. And he, his will is always right. And I'm going to stand before him and have to be prepared for that one day. And, I pray, and, and my prayer is that in the course of my life, I was getting closer and closer to his righteousness, to, to what he set out for me as godliness. And I say for me, for all of us. He is the creator and he is the judge. And if we stop there, that would be scary. But he is also the savior. If we balance, we, we get to balance the justice of God, and this is where it's so tough, with the love of God. Because he is just, there is right and wrong. But I'm wrong a lot. And the book of Romans is very clear that the wages of sin is death and I've sinned. And by death, we don't mean I'm going to die in this life. What we're talking about is eternal death, separation from God. If, we, if God was just righteous, just just, <laughs> if, he, if, there, if it was just about justice, I would be doomed. But he is also loving. And there is grace he does love us. For some reason, he sent his son to die for imperfect, broken, flawed humanity and save us. And we don't get justice that we deserve. Instead, we get what we don't deserve, and that is grace. God loves us, has offered us salvation. If we've been a Christian for a while, we might take that for granted. It would be easy to blow that off and say, well, yeah, God does this. Of course he does. He, owes, he doesn't owe us anything. And the longer you're in the church, the more you kind of forget what it was like to be lost and, and what it was like to be in need. Um, it is so, isn't it so easy to take certain things for granted? It's easy to take a house for granted if you've always lived in one. 
It's easy to take transportation, owning a car and being able to get in the car and drive somewhere if you've always had that. But talk with someone who's homeless or who has been homeless, and they're less likely to take that for granted. Talk with someone whose car broke down for a month and they had to walk everywhere, and they're less likely to take having a car for granted. Here in, in, in West Virginia in the year 2022, I hope I got the year right, um, it's so easy to take for granted food, housing, clothing, transportation. And we know that all over the world, there are people that don't have sometimes any of those four uh, ready, ready access to them. That, that, that even basic things like food may be not counted upon. It's also easy if you've been in the church for a long time to take your faith and your salvation for granted. His salvation is a gift of grace. Not the kind of gift that we got ages ago and forgot about. He saves us daily. Daily I sin. Daily he forgives me. My salvation is not just something that was in the past, it's going on, and it will last forever. The gift will last longer than, than the human brain cannot comprehend eternity, but his salvation is for eternity. He offers us salvation because he loves us. He doesn't force us to follow him. And, that, and that, that amazes me that what he wants, the Bible is very clear, he wants all men to come to salvation. And it boggles my mind that God doesn't get what he wants. His love is so powerful that although it's what he wants, he doesn't force it upon us. He wants us all to be saved, but he won't make any of us live with him forever in heaven if we don't want to. And that's that, that, that just, I, I, I struggle to get my brain around the fact that God doesn't get what he wants in this one instance. He offers us salvation because he loves us. If we want nothing to do with God, he'll honor that. And it breaks his heart, but he honors that. The creator and judge of the universe loves us and saves us if we want it. So who are we? Let's look at ourselves. It's not just about knowing where God fits in the universe. How do we fit in? How do we fit in into his universe, the scheme of things? To know his salvation is to understand that we need to be saved. I mean, that goes without saying, but if we, <laughs> there's no point accepting Christ as Savior if we don't think that we need saving. I mean, if I was, if my doctor came to me and said, you have cancer, you need to take radiation and or chemotherapy, I didn't think I had cancer for whatever reason, and if I was firmly convinced I didn't have cancer, I wouldn't, I wouldn't sign up for radiation and chemo. That stuff sounds horrible. It sounds very sickening, and, I'm, and, and my heart breaks for everybody that's had to be on. I get that it's life-saving, but if I'm 100% convinced for whatever reason that I don't have cancer, I'm not going to sign up for that. If I don't think that I need saving, why would I need a Savior? Because following Jesus isn't always easy. It, it makes us aliens in a world that is often opposed to, Christian, to Christianity and to Christians. To know his salvation is to know that I need saved and that he alone is salvation. And again, I ask that question, do we realize how dead we are 
separated from him. We are lost without him. One thing, I, one thing that, that I think is so important to get the relationship, you know, how does the Old Testament tie into the Christian's life? We are a New Testament church. How do we apply the Old Testament? In the Old Testament, is, the Old Testament is about Israel, God's chosen people. And the New Testament is about the church, God's chosen people. And for me, when we start with that point, application becomes a little bit easier. God is amazing. He created a universe that rebelled against him. And then he offered, he offered people forgiveness. And he chose a man, Abraham. And he chose a family, Israel. And he turned them into a nation to bless the rest of the world. They would be the vessel of his blessings and his revelations to a fallen universe. They were a chosen people, and yet Moses writes that he is partial to none. Even though Israel was chosen from out of the nations, they, they, they were partial to, he was partial to, to none. They, are, they were a set-apart people. But God welcomes all of us. He loves the whole world. We know this from John 3.16. He loves the whole world and chooses to, the, to love those who are beneath him. More than just that, the Bible calls us, the Hebrew word is segula, his treasured possessions. We are his, of all the, again, think of how big the universe is. We are. Are his, tre- his people are his treasured possession. He treasures us. The only thing in the universe, out of all that he made, the one thing the Bible says is treasured are his people. He is justice and he is love. And he chose, chooses to save us and treasure us. What a huge thing. He set up a covenant with Israel. Circumcision was how he chose to show to Israel, who were his and who, were, who, who was not. His covenant is kind of like a business transaction and a relationship. You've got to have both. And his, his covenant with Israel was both. Um, and, and the best example that the New Testament gives us is marriage. Wedding, wedding rings are a sign of an ongoing relationship, but, but wedding rings come after a wedding, a ceremony. There's legal... Whether you get married in the courthouse or not, there is legal paperwork that is filled out. Um, signature of witnesses and, and, and that, that marriage certificate is important. It's, it's a one-time thing, but then the marriage itself is an ongoing thing. And a marriage requires faithfulness, love, and loyalty. For the Christian, we have all this. You know, baptism is a one-time event, but it instigates an ongoing relationship with God that has his Holy Spirit in us and includes obedience and faithfulness. He chooses us and invites us to choose him. We are his chosen. We are, however, also his subjects. And this is where the marriage example breaks down. He is both, you know, the church is the bride of Christ, but he is our Lord, and we are his servants. We are his subjects. And that can be hard for us to grasp. Uh, again, of all the countries, the U.S., affluence, freedom, 
you know, the things, the things that we are, we are famous for, that can get us out of the mindset that maybe the ancient world, the medieval days and, and earlier with kings and subjects, maybe we, we, can, we can forget about that at times. Uh, can the Lord command us? He has that right. What place does the Bible have in our lives? When the Bible tells us to live a certain way, to do certain things, do we listen? Do we do, we do what God tells us to do? Or, or, or is he maybe not as much Lord as he probably should be? Do we do our own thing? Because if we do our own thing and say, I know what God wants, but I'm going to do this, that's not, that's not lordship, is it? Moses in Deuteronomy God, through Moses, refers to Israel at times as stiff-necked, which is a reference to animals that won't be led, and many of us through the years have dealt with animals like that, um, whether they be pet dogs, cats. Every, every cat is stiff-necked. Dogs have owners. Cats just have staff. You work for them. Um, I've, I've ridden horses that will not be, they will do their own thing, and, and, and you're, you're on whatever ride they're going on. We can laugh about that a little bit. But when we're like that, he is not Lord of our life. The key word here, uh, Moses, God through Moses tells us to follow him wholeheartedly. And a lot of us, the, the instinct is to follow God with the leftovers. We do our stuff wholeheartedly. And if there's any time left over, God gets the leftover time. I, I enjoy writing. I enjoy writing stories. I wrote a book. It's still on my hard drive. Finished it six years ago. It still needs to be edited before I ever do anything else with it. It needs to be checked for inconsistencies and spelling mistakes. It's got to have various edit, edit processes. And that's even before I go to any public. Why haven't I got around to that? Because there's other things to do. It was fun to write. I don't know that it'll ever leave the hard drive. It would be neat. But I don't think it's ever... <laughs> at the rate that I'm going, it's never going to happen. You guys know I enjoy my comic books. I, I buy them. I am a year behind... On, on reading, they, just the stack has been piling. I don't make much time. Marvel Comics is maybe so fresh because they're coming out with so many TV shows now. And I like my comic books. And I would love to watch these TV shows, but that requires an investment of time I'm just, I'm not into. I, I'm just, I don't have that level of free time. It's not, which is, of course, probably not entirely true, but there's other things I would rather do. And that's okay. Hobbies at the end of the day are just hobbies, and, and they shouldn't consume you. That stuff doesn't matter. You know what matters? The church, my relationship with God, prayer, Bible reading, my family, of course, matters. I want to focus on the things that matter because all of those hobbies aren't going to last. But my relationship with God is eternal, and it will last. I want to keep my priorities straight. I, I want it to be about him. If I die with a stack of unread comic books, I don't care. If I die with the regret that I could have read the Bible a little bit more and understood it better, that would be a greater tragedy because that matters knowing him. Am I passionate about drawing close to God, following him, obeying him because he is Lord? Because if I'm not, then maybe maybe he's not Lord. Eh, That's a blunt statement, but that's always our struggle, every one of us. Our struggle, what we wrestle with, is how do we make God, Lord of our lives, and it's not a one-time event. It's an ongoing daily struggle. That's, that's the problem of being a living sacrifice. It has been said that the problem of a living sacrifice is that it keeps crawling off the altar, 
And every day it has to offer itself again to God. And that struggle is worth having. We are his subjects. And then, crazy enough, we are his instruments. Not only are we his subjects, but we are his agents in this world. You know, a king needs soldiers and diplomats and farmers. The king can't be everywhere at once. We go back to that ancient world. But our God can be everywhere at once. He can do everything. He doesn't need soldiers or diplomats or farmers. And he can do everything better than we can. So why on earth does God choose to work through you and me? We're not that good. We're not efficient. We, you know, we think of Moses. God, I stutter. I stumble over my words. And, that, and we relate to Moses because all of us can come up with excuses on why God could pick someone better to work through than us. And yet, he still chooses to work through all of us. God loves a world that needs to be shown God's love. God loves this world through us. We are how they will see his love. He offers salvation through his church. We are his hands and his mouth and his feet. And this is not even a choice. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is part of obeying him. Not everybody is called to preach. Not everybody is called to teach. And some of us may say, thank heavens for that. And yet, we are all called to be a witness of God's love to our world around us. Um, We're not all called to evangelize on street corners or in jungles. We are called to love the world the way that God wants to love the world. And that's tough. As his people, for some reason, he made us part of the plan. We ask that question of ourselves. Are we being obedient to him in love, showing love, showing obedience, showing what it means to be followers of Christ? Our hymn of invitation today is hymn number 458. May we draw near to our Creator, our Judge, our Savior. May we, in obedience, know Him and show His love to a world that really needs to see Him. Um, Let us draw near to God. If you have a decision to make about following God, uh, or if you have any questions about what that means, I want to talk with you after church about that. Thank you for listening. You can contact us at our website, firstchurchofchristelkins.com, where you can also find out more. Have a nice week.